Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. Now, have you ever seen a ghost or a UFO or had some seemingly supernatural experience you can't explain? Well, if you haven't, I'm betting my dinner that you know someone who has. And these experiences are really common across cultures, but surely they can't all be the works of hoaxers, charlatans and groundskeepers a la Scooby-Doo. So what is going on? Well, Chris French is Emeritus Professor of Psychology in the Anomalistic Psychology Research Unit at Goldsmiths University London. He also has a new book coming out called The Science of Weird Shit, his title, not mine. Uh, Chris, welcome to the programme. Tell me a little bit uh, about the, the the way things are now, because surely uh, we have more education, more development, more information and more science. And that surely is is almost wiping out this belief in the supernatural. Is that, is that what we're seeing in terms of trends and belief in the supernatural? Not at all. No, not at all. In fact, um, in recent in recent months, in the last couple of years, I've been contacted on numerous occasions by uh, journalists who definitely have the impression that the opposite's happening, if anything. Um, and that would actually make sense. Now, having Having said that, I've not seen any kind of systematic surveys to suggest that there's a particularly strong trend in one direction or the other. But the idea that uh, people might be reporting more paranormal type experiences, more ghostly encounters, etc., etc., would make sense in terms of there is evidence to suggest that at times of great stress and uncertainty, that those are the periods where people tend to report more of those kinds of experiences. And that would kind of make sense to me psychologically. Yeah, and that sort of matches, I suppose, um, mental health disorders as well. I know things like the Truman Show uh, disorder, where um, people have a delusion that they are in a TV show, that variations and that change over time according to what's going on in the world, uh, according to, to psychologists. So it's, it's not surprising, I suppose, that what's going on in the outside world affects our sense of stability. But tell me about your work. What do you research? You're not a ghostbuster, obviously. Um, uh, tell me about the, the work that you do and how you can study something um, that is often so fleeting as thinking you saw uh, a, a ghost in your room or a UFO? Well, there, there are lots of different approaches, I mean, and it depends on the particular depends on the particular phenomenon that, you, that you're interested in and on the kind of uh, psychological explanation that you believe might explain it. So, I mean, to give you one example, one of the topics that we're very interested in and we've, we've, we've done a lot of work, we've got ongoing research, and is something called sleep paralysis. There'll be lots of your listeners who have definitely experienced sleep paralysis. It's very common. Um, in its mild form, it's when you're kind of half awake and half asleep and you you realise you can't move. And it is basically a, a temporary period of, of paralysis. It lasts a few seconds. You snap out of it and maybe think, well, that was a bit weird, but probably don't worry about it too much. For a smaller percentage of unfortunate individuals, however, there can be associated symptoms that can make it much more terrifying. So uh, commonly reported symptoms are things like a very strong sense of presence. Even if you can't see anything or hear anything, you're convinced that there is something or someone in the room with you and they have malign intent towards you. But sometimes you can actually see and hear other stuff. Um, So you might see dark shadows moving around the room or, or lights or even monstrous figures. You might hear voices or footsteps or mechanical sounds. 
Um, you might feel as if you're being held tight or you can feel something breathing on the back of your neck. And remember, you can't move. You can, you're aware that you're in your bedroom, but you can't move. So it's not surprising that an experience like that could lead someone to believe that they've had some kind of ghostly or demonic encounter. Yeah, um, and that, the, the experience of that changes across the world, right? It's more, I think I would say it's more the interpretation of it. That's what's really fascinating about this. You seem to have the same core experience, but different interpretations, and that will sometimes have an effect on the kind of imagery that people perceive. Because I mean, the, the scientific explanation of what's going on there is that uh, during so-called rapid eye movement sleep, that's the phase of sleep that's typically associated with very vivid dreams, your muscles are actually paralysed. And what's happening in these episodes is, to put it very simply, it's as if um, your, your, your brain wakes up, but your body doesn't. And so you've got this situation where you can't move, but you've got all this weird dream imagery coming through into normal waking consciousness. So it's a hallucinatory experience. Right. But as you say, different cultures around the world, both historically and geographically, have got uh, different na- labels for it, different interpretations of it. So in Newfoundland... They talk about the old hag who comes and sits on the sleeper's chest and throttles them. In Japan, it's kanashibari, which literally translates as bound by iron. One of my favourites, because it's so creepy, is uh, St Lucia, where it's kokmar, and that's the spirits of unbaptized children that crawl onto the sleeper's chest and throttle them. (laughs) Back in the Europe in the Middle Ages, it was sex-crazed demons who would have their wicked way with you while you're asleep. The female version was the succubus, the male version was the incubus. Um, So it's it's, it's really interesting to look at the way that this fairly common experience is interpreted within the framework, the belief system of the particular culture in that particular time and region. I know it's possible to stimulate the brain to uh, get people to feel certain things or perceive certain things called deep brain stimulation, I believe. And is there a part of the brain that where we can actually conjure up, if we stimulate this part of the brain where we can conjure up a feeling of something paranormal? Um, and, and, And does that tell us anything about the sort of things that might be going on in the brains of people when they have these sort of experiences? Well, yeah, I mean, there's some really, really interesting research Um, looking at kind of directly stimulating the surface of the cortex. This is something that you might do before you carried out a brain operation. So the the main reason for doing it is to avoid areas like the areas that are associated with language. Uh, So obviously you don't want the person to regain consciousness and not be able to speak anymore and so on and so forth. But you can learn a lot just from natural, uh, you know, opportunity to directly stimulate the cortex. And there's some really interesting work that shows that uh, you can, for example... Uh, sometimes stimulate uh, an area of the temporoparietal junction. That's the kind of where the temporal lobe and the parietal lobe meet. And you can turn an out-of-body experience on and off at the flick of a switch, which is, I think, pretty damn stunning, you know. (laughs) Now, uh, we've still Can you describe, when you say a life-of-body, out-of-body experience, what do you mean? Well, I mean, an out-of-body experience, again, obviously these out-of-body experiences can occur under a whole range of, of conditions, not just when you're having your cortex stimulated. Um, it's, a, it's, again, fairly common experience. As typical estimates would say about 15% of the population report they have had this experience. And it's where you feel as if your consciousness, your, your mind, or what some people might refer to as a soul, has left your physical body. And you may, you know, you may even kind of report looking down on yourself from above. Um, 
it's a it's a one component of a near death experience. That a near death experience involves lots of other components as well. But the out of body experience can occur pretty much at, at any time. It's it's more likely to happen under certain conditions than others. But people report, for example, uh, I've read reports of people who were driving down the motorway and suddenly felt as if they were actually kind of on the top of their car. You know, and that's what wow. that, that's how it seemed. You know, fortunately, the car didn't crash. <laughs> um, lecturers who report that they're suddenly they're at the back of the lecture theatre watching themselves give a give a lecture and so on. So there's a whole range of different uh, ways in which this can manifest. And of course, there's, there's lots of lore from all different cultures that's, that you know that that invoke this idea of spirit and body and and the soul that that um, can really help us. Um, I suppose add a layer of uh, spookiness to that in a way. I, 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 I'm just wondering, with these out-of-body experiences that people were happening, did, did, did any of the researchers actually test whether or not people were having an out-of-body experience? Like putting a playing card on the chest of the person where they're inducing it and seeing if the person looking down above them could see which playing card it was. Well, I mean, again, that's a great point. I mean, and people have... There are some people who claim they can kind of self-induce an out-of-body experience more or less at will. You know, they'll engage in various kind of mental exercises and they say that this then produces the out-of-body experience. Mm. And, you know, to my mind, well, that, that makes it really easy to test then because you could do it precisely as you know. What I would recommend that you do, a better a better way to do it rather than <laughs> risking that somebody might just glance down as they're lying there, uh, put the card on a chair in a room down the corridor. You know, now if some, we, we'd only need one person to be able to reliably induce an out-of-body experience and reliably report what the identity of that randomly chosen card was for sceptics like me to have to admit, well, okay, yeah, there is something paranormal going on here. Um, and yet that that has never been reported. That's never happened, despite the hundreds, if not thousands, of people who claim that they, that they have this ability. I mean, one other related... Um, there, there is some kind of really interesting research. It's been going on for years now where concealed targets are put into hospital wards, uh, particularly cardiac patients. And uh, I would say the hope is, I mean, obviously you hope that they won't have another heart attack, but if, if they do and they have an, a near-death experience involving the out-of-body experience, that they might, you can only see the the uh, concealed targets from a vantage point above them looking down and they're very concealing. Some hospitals have signed up for this. Absolutely, yeah. And it's been going on for a good few years now. That's I mean, I'm awesome. all in favour of this. I know it sounds a bit Monty Python-ish, but it's, uh, you know, it really would be a challenge to sceptics like me if anybody ever reported what that concealed target was. And to date, it hasn't happened. People, mm. do, There are lots of kind of anecdotal reports about people perceiving things when they're having a near-death experience, an out-of-body experience. But there's always other alternative explanations there. You know, we really need something that's where it's happened under kind of pretty well-controlled conditions for it to constitute strong evidence. Yeah, and, and, and we really haven't had that, which is why I suppose sceptic is a weak word for how I feel about um, the supernatural. <laughs> However, I do find Ouija boards super creepy, would never do them. And I've spoken to people who say, I tell you now there was something happening in that room that night. And I'm wondering, 
What what is happening with a Ouija board? Do do we ever get to the bottom of of uh, of testing something like that? Because the idea is, you know, you, you put your hands, you know, a group of people put their hands on an object, and it, and, and it, it, uh, you have a, a sort of a keyboard underneath it made of card, and people can sort of uh, spell out words together as a group. But it, it does seem to happen to people. At least they they claim it does. Do we? Can we completely debunk the Ouija board and put my mind at ease? Because I do find that quite freaky. Well, I, I personally think we can. Uh, I mean, there'll be, there'll be people out there who would disagree, obviously. I mean, I used to, as an undergraduate student in my kind of final year, me and my mates were all living in the same house. And it was very common on a Friday night after we got back from the pub that we'd... Uh, produce a kind of homemade Ouija board using little scraps of paper with the letters of the alphabet on and an upturned wine glass. And we're playing with, with powers we were, you can't we understand there, Chris. Forces, but we were doing it for entertainment purposes only. Um, and it was really interesting because the, the illusion, which is what I think it is, that the glass is kind of moving on its own or it's being pushed by some kind of external force is very, very strong. It's, it's a very, very uh, powerful effect. Um, but what uh, most sceptics, including myself, would say the explanation is, is something called the idiomotor effect. And put in kind of less technical language, it's unconscious muscular movements. People are actually pushing the glass without realising that they're doing so. But, th- um, but they spell actual words when they do that. They can't, well, that's it, you can't, if, uh, and it's not, it's not a twitch or a spasm if someone spells out, you're going to die, Jonathan. You know, like, that's not, <laughs> that's that's, not that'll I, be a very unlikely um, pattern of muscle spasms to produce that. I mean, I mean, it's not muscle spasms at all because people are watching the glass. And so even though each and every one of them is only, there's a cumulative effect based on expectation. So if, for example, you and I were involved in a session and uh, the uh, yeah, the board had indicated I have a message for someone and we said, who do you have a message for? And the first letter it went to was J. Then I think we may all be expecting them for that to be followed by O, N, A, T, H and so right. on. You know? So your own expectations will lead, will lead to those kinds of effects happening. There is some really, one of my favourite kind of examples of a kind of one, one of the first, as you could call it, one of the first experiments in anomalistic psychology was actually carried out by Michael Faraday, the great physicist. Right. Um, this was back in the Victorian era where another way of trying to communicate with the spirits was something called table tilting. And this would involve taking a kind, usually a fairly small, round wooden table and the sitters would put their hands on the table and they'd ask questions to the spirits and on a good session you know, the, the, the table would kind of move in response to the questions to, to indicate the answers and on a really good session you might end up with a situation where the sitters were kind of chasing around the room trying to keep their hands in contact with the table and this was explained by the believers in terms of you know this is spirits this is the spirits moving the table what I love about this is that Faraday was o- <laughs> Unlike yourself, Jonathan, no disrespect intended, he was open-minded enough to actually put this to the test. <laughs> he kind of set up these ingenious experiments where, uh, you know, there are basically two possibilities. If the table moves, either some external force is moving it or the people involved are moving it. And he set up a, a number of really ingenious experiments and demonstrated quite conclusively that people were pushing the table, even though they weren't consciously aware of it. And it's the same... Uh, explanation that applies to Ouija boards, it applies to dowsing, it applies to a number of other phenomena. 
you 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 know you, you quite rightly outed me as a, a, a complete denier of this sort of thing. I just don't have time. If you unless you got something really concrete, stay away. But um, as a, as a man, I'm probably in the majority of this. Is it true that um, women uh, are much more likely to believe in magical thinking? Is that is that borne out in any scientific evidence, or is that just urban myth? No, no. I mean, generally, uh, when I mean, not every single study does find differences between the genders in terms of paranormal belief. But when differences are found, it's typically women who show higher levels of belief than men, with a couple of exceptions. So it depends quite on how widely you want to kind of define the paranormal. But men are, are sometimes found to be more likely to believe in UFOs, the Loch Ness Monster, Bigfoot and so on. Right. Uh, but certainly with respect to things like psychic ability, uh, ghosts, etc., that tends to be more something that w- women would be more likely to believe in. Right. So as a, as, as a psychologist and a scientist, Chris, who's been looking at this for some time, if someone has an experience in the moment and is able to 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 somehow test it how would I, how how would they go do you have any recommendations for how someone might go about doing that to to be able to test whether or not what they're experiencing was supernatural or just something going on in their brain well uh, i mean we have over the years tested numerous psychic claims so, yeah paranormal claims including from kind of professional psychics people who make their living by doing readings for others, for complete strangers, and they sincerely believe that they can tell complete strangers all about them, so all about them without using any kind of known senses. Now, we've tested quite a few of these claims over the years. I mean, it's, it's not rocket science, basically. It's quite very straightforward. You'd get a number of people to come in, have readings done. You need to control the conditions to make sure there's no giveaway clues and so on and so forth. Then you get those people to come back at the end of the day. You give them all the readings that were done in that session and say which one was done for you. And if the hmm. psychics can really do what they say they can do, there ought to be one reading that stands out yeah. as being having lots of accurate, personal, specific information. Um, so we, we say choose the one that is the best match to, to your life. And basically, long story short, we, we you know we never find any evidence at all that these people really are able to do what they sincerely believe they can do. So, the, so create, a blind, create a blind control. If you see a ghost, create some sort of blind control. There's, yeah, I mean, <laughs> ghost is a tricky one because, of course, it's something that generally only occurs kind of spontaneously if it happens at all. Mm. But what you can do is you can do, you know, people do do research into sleep paralysis sometimes in the sleep laboratory. You can actually induce episodes of sleep paralysis. And again, that for me counts as very strong proof that, you know, if you're, if you're watching somebody, if you're video recording someone lying there in bed and they're reporting that they're seeing all these kind of monstrous figures and what have you, but you know they haven't, it does suggest we're dealing with a hallucination, doesn't it? Well, I'm open to, to having my mind changed, but I'm not going to spend a huge amount of time on it because I'm a firm disbeliever in all that sort of stuff. Professor Chris French from Goldsmiths University, the author of upcoming book, The Science of Weird Shit. Uh, Chris, thanks very much for joining us. My pleasure. Future Proof Extra with Jonathan McRae. Proudly supported by Science Foundation Ireland on News Talk. <laughs>